MCs, not enough mics. Exit your show like <laughs> okay, I Okay, you got it. Turnpike. All right, so I'm on the phone again with uh, Canadian basketball legend, Charlotte Hornets assistant coach, Jay Triano. Thanks for uh, coming back on, man. Thank you. My pleasure, Mike. Mike, always a pleasure. Yes, so I know that you have uh, storied your resume, re- your basketball resume reads longer than War and Peace, but I got to tell you something. You are the first return guest on my Not Enough Mike's podcast, so <laughs> your career is made. Now you can retire, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. So the last time, uh, so yes, so thank you very much uh, coming on, coming back on. Last time we talked was five months ago, and it was in April, and it feels like that seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Yeah, like we're talking. Uh, we're so talking. Much, so, yeah. So much has changed, yet so much has stayed the same since then. Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. I think we all expected that we'd be out of what we're in right now, uh, back when we were talking anyway, but it seems to uh, still be lingering on. Yeah, and, and here we are. And now, you know, all of a sudden, NBA is back in full swing. We're in the second round of the playoffs. Everything is going back on. And you're what we were just talking about, too. I was just watching the, uh, the head coaching uh, introductory with Brooklyn Nets, your boy, Steve Nash has a as a job as an NBA coach. How proud of you are you yeah. for Steve, and how happy are you for him? Uh, I, I'm really excited for him. Uh, you know, I, I it caught me off guard because I, I think I thought he was completely content with being, uh, you know, assisting in Golden State. He said he would go in once in every couple of weeks and talk to the players and everything. Uh, even when I was trying to keep the job in Phoenix with the Suns, I, I, I reached out to Steve to see if he had any interest in helping with the Suns. And he, he didn't seem to be interested in coaching at all. Uh, but this is a completely different. This is a this is a great team with two star players. One obviously he's had a lot of contact with uh, during his uh, uh, helping with the Warriors uh, in Kevin Durant. And I'm sure that Kevin had a lot of say in who the next leader was going to be for the Nets moving forward. But I'm just I'm just so fired up for him and uh, and for and for basketball in our country. Uh, it, it's it's great. It's great that we've got another coach, a Canadian coach who's a head coach. Yeah, absolutely huge moment uh, for Canadian basketball. And you know, like most Canadian basketball fans, you know, and Raptors fans, we're we're kind of protected protective over our country, our fans. You know, we got our backs up against the wall. It seems like a lot. Now, there's a story that came out that I felt like shouldn't have been a story. And bear with me for a moment, please. So it was almost the notion that he doesn't deserve this position to become head coach. And to me, that seems somewhat ludicrous because there's a legacy of retired guys who've come into coaching after their careers. You got guys like Doc Rivers, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, Magic, Isaiah. And then if you even go further back, you got like Willis Reed, Paul Silas. And Steve Nash is, you know, he's a top 50 guy. I think we'd both agree on that. He's a top 50 guy forever. And of those top 50 guys, you got to think that he's arguably, I'd say he's number one to be a coach. He's beloved by all his former teammates, respected by his opponents. And it seems like, and as you just mentioned, and you can allude even closer to this, like the guy went through a divorce. He's got a couple kids. He got remarried. He wanted to take his time to come back. And now he took the opportunity. Now, I, I feel like if Sean Marks and the, and the Brooklyn Nets, if they wanted to keep Kenny Atkinson around, I'm, I'm sure they would have. But now having a guy like Steve Nash and have that opportunity for him to come in, it seems like such a no-brainer. And as you just mentioned, the relationship that he has with uh, Kevin Durant, it seemed like it was just a – it completely makes sense. 
I, I 100% agree, Mike. I, I think, you know, uh, he's a guy, here's a guy who was not only a great player, but a student of the game as mm-hmm. well. Like, he understood not only his role, but the role of everybody else around him. He made everybody that he played with better. And I think the same thing's going to hold true when you're a coach. Uh, he, he just, he's got a great feel, not for the game as much as he does for people. And, and uh, He's a people person, and that's what this league is about. People forget all that. You know, it, it's not always the X's and O's, and uh, not that Steven's going to be efficient at that because he, he knows the game. Uh, but it's about the Jimmys and Joes. You've got to be able to relate to the players. You've got to be able to understand what they're going through. Steve went through it throughout his career. He had a rocky part uh, to it, so he'll understand the guys that are going through struggles. He, he was an MVP, so he'll be able to relate to what a guy – playing at that level is like. So I just think that, uh, you know, he, he's going to be he's going to be great at this like he has been everything else. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of the names, but I think the guy that he worked with most most is probably Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr made the jump. Yes. And Steve Kerr did an outstanding job. And did he have talent? Yes. Did Steve have talent? Yes. So uh, why, why do we not see this working again? Yeah, I it's got you got to think it's going to going to work. Now, are they going to win the title on the first year? Hey, only one team can win, so that's a that's a challenging job, as you know better than anybody. But I think they're going to be greatly successful. I'm uh, as far as sports, not a fan. I'm not a huge fan of uh, of a uh, couple of their players, so it's going to be difficult for me to cheer for Steve. But obviously, I got to cheer for for Nash going to Brooklyn. So. Um, have you guys had an, had an opportunity to chat since, uh, the announcement has come out? Uh, sent him a text message immediately after I heard the news to verify that it was true. <laughs> Cause I was like completely blown away. I, I, I didn't, I, like I said, we didn't see this on the horizon for him. He had never talked about it. So, uh, I sent him a message and uh, just said, congrats coach. I said, you're going to be great at this. Uh, and he just sent back, you know, I love you, JT. That's it. And, uh, you know, I, I know that he's going through a lot with the press conference and trying to get adjusted with everything. I sent him another message, a couple messages, just offering my, uh, I don't know, if he wants to talk about everything. I mean, I found the biggest thing moving from an assistant to a head coach was all the things outside of the game of basketball. Mm. And uh, I'm sure that Steve is dealing with that now, especially with no season. But he's got to have to. He's got a lot of things to deal with. You know, getting to know everybody in the organization, trying to figure out his staff, trying to figure out all the players that he has. So, uh, you know, he's he's just had a little bit of time now, which is great. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, you guys are going to have to have a little side bet for dinner, I'm sure. Once the Hornets play uh, Brooklyn, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah. a good. Uh, you know what? We're, 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 we're at opposite ends of the spectrum right now, but as far as us rebuilding and them expecting to be, to be good right now, but uh, it'll it'll be fun to see him uh, on the sideline. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the things that made him so great as, as a player was his uh, uh, level of compete. He, he was a great competitor, and that's going to hold true for coaching too. He's going to take the wins well, but he'll take the losses tough, and, and that's one of the balancing acts that you have to have. Uh, when when you start taking over, yeah, I could yeah I could imagine it's gonna he's gonna have his hands full that's for sure. Now it reminded me I, I re-listened to our uh, our previous podcast and I remember the moment that you guys shared when you both walked into the Olympic Games and you're kind of like looking at each other, gave each other a hug and you're like 
we did it. Like we're here. These are the goals that we set. And I know that you from Coach Donahue, you're a very goal-oriented person yourself. So you guys, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you guys will have maybe that similar moment when you line up against each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we will. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit surreal. I think just like it was when I, when I, when I was coaching the Raptors. And, uh, uh, you, know, he, you know, he was a starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns. And we're kind of looking across at each other, and he's taking the ball over right in front of me, and I'm looking at him, and we just kind of have a little, a little smile, like, man, this is crazy that we're being able to live our dreams. And, you know, I don't know if this was one of his dreams as a kid growing up, but obviously it certainly was something he, he wanted to do. So, uh, you know, you, you change and you adjust through the times. And I think that, you know, the coaching part of it, it's probably got a little bit competitive still in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when your career ends, it's hard to replace that, that compete. I, I found the same thing when I was doing broadcasting. It was great. I loved being around the game, loved calling games. But, man, there was nothing like the compete part of it. And, and that's why, you know, I, I tried to move into the coaching role. Yeah, I could imagine, you know, you're on that stage for so long. Now, clearly, as we talked, you're you're proud. You know, he's your buddy. You guys have been friends for so long and have gone through such a, an amazing journey together. And uh, you're proud of proud of him. Now, are there some other guys that you look at in the league right now? Because you've been in the league since 2002. You came in with the Raptors, now with the Hornets, of course. And, I, you know, I, I look back on your teams in Portland. You got guys like C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. Uh, I think CJ came in uh, his rookie year when you were there. Are there any guys that you look at and you go, man, that guy has worked his butt off and very happy to where he's gotten right now? Uh, yeah, obviously. You know, it, it was interesting watching off. I think we were all deprived of basketball for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, when the bubble when the bubble started happening, it was great to watch games. And I felt a real sense of pride that five or three of the five guys that were named to the all bubble team were guys that I had coached at some point. That's right. Uh, CJ Warren in, uh, in, in Phoenix, uh, obviously Dane, Dane Lillard and, and Devin Booker. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fun to watch those guys, uh, come back out of the quarantine and play as well as they did. And obviously anybody that you coach, and I, I, I don't even know if it's, coaching them as much as it is knowing them as people. Uh, I was really happy for those guys. And, and you always feel that sense of pride uh, when, 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 when guys that you know uh, do well. And it was great to see those guys in the bubble. So uh, most recently, I would say that that bubble experience was great to watch and see a bunch of guys that I had coached did really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I thought, you know, going, going in and just trying to imagine what the games would look at, I'm thinking it's probably going to be, you know, six or seven. And I really think the NBA, Adam Silver, has absolutely nailed it. Um, coming in, the level of play, obviously, the competitive juices are flowing, but just the in which they've pumped in the sound and the games, I've been uh, I've been nothing but impressed. So, so yeah, I think, sorry, I go think ahead. The, the one thing, Mike, the one thing I just, it, it's very similar to international basketball. Uh, you know, you go to these other countries and there's not a whole lot you can do. You're there for one reason. You're locked in with your teammates. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with your teammates. Uh, and you're on, you're on a mission. Now, it's obviously a little bit longer. I think our national team trips are sometimes, you know, longest six to eight weeks. But so it's a little bit longer than that. But uh, it, it's, it's fully concentrated basketball. And I think that's why we're seeing such a, a great level of play amongst so many, so many other guys. Their focus has to be like, on point and, and, and all the time because some of the guys in there 
that's all they're doing. They're, they're not thinking about getting out of the bubble. They're not thinking about anything else. They're, they're locked in on their, on their game and the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, like, and have you talked to any of, uh, former players, coaches, any colleagues that you've had that are in the bubble right now? And what's their, uh, what's their take on what life is like in there? I think, I mean, they're a hundred percent locked in when they're there. Mm-hmm. I think it's obviously a little bit of an inconvenience. The guys that I talked to, uh, I talked to Kelly Olenek early and a couple of the other guys that I know through national teams, uh, Dwight Powell when he was in there with the Mavericks. And mm-hmm. Those guys were like, well, these guys are complaining about the bubble. He goes, this is, this is easier than that trip to China you took us on. <laughs> um, and, you know, so... I just think, you know, if, if there is a mental toughness and a mental part of it that you probably have to fight through uh, for a lot of guys that aren't used to it. I think the guys that have played internationally, um, it's kind of like what they've always gone through, just probably for a little bit longer period of time. Yeah, yeah, true enough. You hear a lot of these guys allude to a lot of the international play. That's a very good point, right? Where you've just been accustomed to to playing in those types of spots before. Now, you're known as a as a player's coach. Um, what, what what what? Obviously, the mental toughness. But what's the messaging you're giving to your teams before each and every game? You mean like when you're in the bubble? Yeah, stuff? yeah. Like when you're when you're in the bubble and trying and you know and to keep that focus. And I, I guess there are less distractions, but possibly there could be more distractions. Yeah, I think I think the you know we always talked about you know focusing on the process. You know what's right in front of you right now. You know sitting around worrying about going home or who you're missing and everything like that. You know focus on the process and we tried to break it down. Uh, from you know, kind of like goal setting, so a monthly goal, uh, and what our focus is, a, a weekly goal, a daily goal, and then even 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 further down into the game uh, by quarter and by possession. Um, and it, I think if you can stay locked in on what the process is each time and how you want to execute, um, knowing that you're going to have to you know fight through some tough times, and I think that's another thing that we always talked about was the word resiliency, Mm. Uh, you know, how to handle things when things don't go the way that we want them to go or the the preferred way is what defines greatness between a lot of people. And, uh, you know, the game is full of mistakes, Uh, a turnover at one end or a bad game shooting um, or a two or three game losing streak. uh, You know, the resiliency, how are you going to bounce back? How do you get bounced? Uh, locked back, locked in. And, and, and a lot of that comes back to focusing on the process. You can't control the outcomes a lot of times. And, uh, you know, we always used to say, you know, you if we worry about the process, the outcome will take care of itself. So uh, I think that's probably the message. And then you, you create a narrower focus for the players so that you eliminate all the outside thoughts and distractions. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Because you heard a guy... Um, Paul George, and I believe it was the kind of later in the first round, he's saying, you know, you know, he's a star player, you know, from the outside, some fans will go, well, you're making $35 million a year, get focused. But he was very honest in his, in his answers saying, Hey, I wasn't into this. I couldn't get into it. There's no fans. I've grew up playing basketball since I was a baby. I'm used to playing in front of fans, even if I'm in high school. And then all of a sudden, um, now, while we always appreciate the honesty, he got a little bit of scrutiny. What are your What are your thoughts about if players open up that much to the media? Well, I think the world is 
has, has changed more. And I think people are being a lot more open and a lot more vocal mm-hmm. with their thoughts and feelings. And I think, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I think that we deal with mental illness has is, is become a big part of all of our lives. We know somebody who's dealing with it and, uh, the openness for guys and people to talk and uh, about it. I think, you know, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan both talked about it prior to COVID. And I think that when, when they see some of these guys open up about their true feelings, I said it, I think it helps them. It helps them and it helps other people think that it's okay to talk about maybe what's not right in my life right now. Uh, so I, I, I thought I commend him for, for, for saying that. And uh, I think, you know, he bounced back and I think, you know, they're, they're in there for a long time. And I think when your mind is outside the bubble, it's hard to perform well inside. And you know, we always say that term, you know, be where your feet are. Like, let's not worry about things outside the bubble that we can't control. Let's just be where, you know, control what, where your feet are. Control the things around you right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very true. That's very true. You're very <laughs> you're very structured in your way and your goal setting, and I can see that's exactly why you're such an amazing coach. Because you're right. You just you try and focus on the things that you can control. Your controllables is such a such great advice uh, for that. So Paul George, as you mentioned, he's been coming around and playing well. Um, and the Clippers. Has there been a a series that you've enjoyed watching more than the others? Uh I've been watching mo- most of them. Um, I, I, you know, obviously uh, the Toronto the Toronto series is interesting. I just think the East is so. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's a battle. You know, Milwaukee and Toronto are the two best teams uh, all year, and Toronto's on the verge of elimination, and Milwaukee's eliminated. And I just think, wow, it, just, it says a lot for. Um, you know, what Miami's been able to do and what, uh, what Boston's been able to do. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if the Raptors can bounce back. They've had their backs against the wall in the past and if they can bounce back here. But obviously I'm a little bit more focused on the East. Number one, the games are earlier, yeah. uh, which is great for me. Number two, it's obviously teams that we're going to play more in the future with the, with the Charlotte Hornets. So, uh, you know, I, I, I focus my attention on that. It's like, getting an advanced scouting report on some of these guys and some of these teams. So uh, I've been really locked in on the East mostly. So you're, uh, so let's talk about Boston and Toronto right now. It's where, you know, Boston, or Toronto's down three, uh, two at the moment. What would be, what would be like your keys? If you had three keys to, for Toronto to win, what would they be for Toronto moving forward? Uh, well, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that the Atkins has played real well mm-hmm. and, to get him into an aggressive mindset, I think, would be key. Uh, he's struggling with his shot. I, I, I don't think Toronto's shooting the ball well uh, as a team. And I think when they when they did, they got a couple of wins. So, um, you know, and is shooting about you or is it about the defense that you're playing against? So, I mean, I think, you know, they're always a very good defensive team. they got to stay with that. And hopefully Boston doesn't shoot the ball well and Toronto starts to shoot it well. I think this is a series where, uh, we're seeing two good coaches, and we're seeing two good teams uh, defensively, and you got to create your open looks, and Toronto hasn't been able to make a, a lot of shots right now. No, they really haven't. And Siakam, uh, yeah, Siakam has been, uh, he's certainly been exploited, but I think, I feel like they're they're due. They're due. It's been a bit of a, a choppy series, and then whoever gets Miami 
um, next round. And you're right, just, you know, Milwaukee, Toronto, not storming through the league, but certainly having their way with a lot of teams. And then you see them, well, as you mentioned, Milwaukee eliminated and now Toronto potentially on the brink of elimination. Um, it's going to be, what's your setup that you, like when you're at home, you're driving right now and you're heading back to Charlotte, like where, uh, where are you watching all your games and uh, what's your setup like? Are you the well, big- I was, uh, I was, I was fortunate when I got back to Canada, I was in quarantine for 14 days. Okay. Uh, so I was in my mother's, my mother's basement <laughs> okay. and it was actually probably the easiest quarantine ball when you had a game at one thirty, another one at three thirty, you know, five thirty and, 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 and eight thirty or whatever. Uh, it was just like constant basketball. So that's not bad quarantine for me. <laughs> no, um, it's like March it Madness season waiting. It would be like trying to figure out how to get through the day so I could get to where I could watch games. So, um, you know, a lot of them were watching you know, in the basement there or in my living room uh, back in back in Charlotte. It's not like the season, Mike. When during the season, um, there will be three games that I want to watch, and they all start at seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, I will have one on the TV. One on my computer, one on an iPad, right? Uh, and just to you know, stay up to date and uh, you know, keep peeking. And when it gets to be about you know eight or you know eight forty-five, nine o'clock, you know all the games are coming down to the wire, and that's where I really watch the strategies of different coaches and different teams and types of plays that they're going to run. So uh, it's not unusual to have three screens in front of me, but uh, obviously throughout the bubble we really haven't had to do that. The games have been spread out naturally for me. Mm-hmm. It's been nice. Yeah, I felt I was trying to watch the Lakers-Houston game last night, and I, uh, I fell asleep at, uh, at halftime. So I had to rewatch it, uh, rewatch the second half this morning. Um, and that's actually something I wanted to bring up to you because I was always, I'm always very curious. Like, I guess we'll have to rewind to last year and years past. Is like, how, as an NBA coach, how are you guys exchanging information? Like, let's say, example, you're on a, you're on a road trip. And you finish playing in, let's say, Milwaukee, and you're heading to Chicago, and you're t- you're on the flight. How readily available is all your your game film, and how is that? Uh, how is all the information shared amongst uh, your coaches and players? Well, it is. Uh, that's probably been the biggest jump that the NBA has made in in my 25 years in it. Um, obviously, you know, it used to be VHS, and how do you splice the VHS tape and get it to everybody right away and how long is that going to take after a game? Can I have it by the next morning? Uh, now, uh, with what our video coordinators are able to do during a game, they will log the game and they have all these codes, uh, like for pick and roll and who is involved in it, the outcome of the, of the play, the shot quality, the shot, where the shot was taken from, all that stuff, uh, is readily available. And it's readily available, like right after the game. Okay. It's like, uh, it's like, it's, by the time we get uh, on the airplane, uh, I have the, the game broken down both offensively and defensively. Um, if I wanted to show a player on a flight uh, his minutes, or even more, uh, his pick and rolls offensively, uh, what was there and what why he maybe turned it over, I could click on just his shots. I could click on just his turnovers. All that stuff is still readily available right away, wow. right on the computers now. So there's no there's no DVDs that have to be made and copied. It, it goes right onto a hard drive onto your computer by the time we're on the airplane. So 
we're breaking down tape on the way to the next game. Um, sometimes we'll have meetings on the airplane. The coach sees something. Uh, he wants to uh, address with a player, or he'll say, uh, tomorrow morning's meeting is going to be at uh, 9.30, but before that meeting, I'd like you to watch all uh, Devontae's minutes with him uh, offensively just so he gets a feel for what we're going to be talking about. Hmm. Uh, and then we'll, then we'll get together as a staff, and, and we'll put together an edit for uh, uh, for, for the team. And, you know, I'll, I'll have 15 to 20 offensive clips. The defensive coordinator will have 15 to 20 defense. Coach may have some of his own, and then we'll get into a, a meeting, and we'll we'll sit in the meeting, and we'll figure out. Uh, don't show that one. Show that one, and we'll try to cut it down to. Uh, we're we're not going to keep the players in that meeting for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Wow, that yeah, that's incredible. Just how how quickly that uh, the information is passed now. That's got to be as a, a guy dealing with the players every single day. That's got to be fantastic to be able to share that information. Absolutely, I think we're we're, we're seeing more video and more teaching through video now than we ever have in the league. And that's mostly because it's readily available. And we've got you know, more and more people working in, uh, uh, working, working in video rooms now. Like there's, there's probably most video rooms have three or four guys and some, some organizations have even more because they're breaking down film of, of draft prospects as well as European prospects mm-hmm. and uh, free agent prospects. So uh, video rooms have become very, very valuable. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now as well, now you're talking about too, like a big, uh, a common theme now is you're hearing, seeing with, you know, more, more, some other teams rather than more so with some teams rather than other teams is uh load management. Now, if you had to deal with any of that, uh, with your career and like, what's your kind of overall take on the load management? My, my kind of take on that is that basketball has changed over the years. I feel like the game has changed and I feel yeah. players, coaches, the league as in itself is a lot more, I guess, quote unquote, valuable now. So the more you have, the more you have to lose. And that's where the, the narrative is, is somewhat changed with these players. So has your team had to deal with uh, any of those? And I guess, what are your thoughts on the overall kind of tactic now of load management for teams and players? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because so many teams now have moved where they have a sport. Uh, I don't even know the, the, the correct name. is a sports doctor mm-hmm. uh, on staff. And that, that person is pretty much in charge of load management. Um, and it factors so many things. It factors minutes in a game, but it also factors travel, um, number of games that, you, that you've played. Uh, you know, I started with the national team. Man. We had a, a program where we had a thing called Omega Wave, and they would go and wake guys up in the morning and put these probes on them, and it would give us a reading as to how aware – or, or, or how ready our guys were, and I would get a, I would get a, a message from uh, our, our team doctor who would say to me, "Hey, coach, today should probably be level five practice. You can't go eight or nine because these guys are beat up right now." Okay. Uh, or he'll say, "Everybody's green. Everybody's green today. You can have a real hard practice." And, and that's continued through to the NBA. Um, we, these sports uh, doctors and sports medicine doctors are now. They're, they're, they're part of our, our practice plan. They, they, they'll tell us we're practicing too long. We're practicing, we're not practicing long enough. Uh, we're not practicing hard enough. Uh, we need to take a day off and, and, and they, they try to manage this. And, uh, it's a fine line between those coaches. You, you, you think you need to practice, but at the same time, if you're, if you're beating a dead horse, then they're not going to be able to perform for you. 
Yeah, fair enough. And that's just a, a great example of technology really helping you to uh, and where you've seen it change. And as you mentioned, the 25 years. So um, and again, last time that we were chatting, you're talking about having these Zoom conversations. So you're sharing all this information as you're able to, you know, pre pandemic or pre NBA stoppage. And then you're talking about, you know, being able to chat with your players as well on Zoom meetings. Have you uh, been keeping readily in touch with a lot of the players during now and your, uh, your fellow coaches? Well, things, things have opened up a little bit more in the state. Uh, so we've been actually, uh, through NBA protocol, uh, we've been going into the gym uh, four days a week. We'll go in Monday through Thursday. And uh, we're, you know, social distancing one player at one end of the court, one at the other end of the court, one person working out each guy. And uh, that's allowed us to the, the physical contact with the players, and not only just the physical contact, but the uh, ability to talk and share and, and, and engage with the players. So it's been a little bit less of the Zoom and more one-on-one interaction with our guys uh, as, as things have gotten a little bit better. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's nice that things are slowly, slowly uh, starting to come around. Now you got the draft, uh, you got the draft coming up. You guys got the, uh, the number three pick um, where your team is right now. Uh, I know you guys ended the season strong. You had a lot of tight games uh, that, that didn't go your way last year, but the team ended very strong. Is there a particular position um, or addition that you guys are looking to add for the Hornets? I, I- I don't think so. And, and talking a little bit to Mitch and his comments to the media, um, I think when you have the third pick, the best thing that you can do is take the best player, mm-hmm. regardless of position. I don't think you, uh, with that pick, you necessarily draft the position. Um, you know, if, if, if we have two good guards in Terry Rozier and, and Devontae Graham, and, and the, the next best player up there at number three is a really good guard, I think you, you go for that. Uh, I, I think you worry, you, you try to collect as many assets as you can and, and hopefully hit on a couple of them. But uh, uh, the teams that I've been involved with that drafted the position really have struggled because if that guy doesn't work out or you're, you're losing a little bit as far as talent, I mean, there's so much change in the league anyway. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a very that's a very good point, especially um, with the with the league almost going positionless. You know, you you see it now with the the Rockets, yeah. PJ Tucker uh, playing center. What's he six four, maybe six five, with his shoes on, um, and with positionless. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah that's a that's a great point. Um, so, what else uh, have you been along these lines? You're going to the gym four uh, four times a week. What else has uh, been keeping you busy during these uh, these strange times? Playing any golf? I've actually, you know, I, I played a little bit of golf. Yeah. Yes. Uh, get out on the boat a little bit. Uh, I live in a lake community, so uh, I get a big pontoon boat. Beautiful. Take the dogs out on that. Uh, was able to squeeze a quick trip back to, to see my uh, granddaughter, my daughter, my mom, my sister, all back in the, in southern Ontario after quarantine for 14 days, and uh, now heading back. And you know, we've got a we've got a a, a bubble. The, the the eight teams that didn't get to go to Orlando um, are are now allowed to create their own bubble in their own market. So, starting next week, we will get tested for a week, and then the following two weeks, we're going to go into a a bubble where we can actually play five on five amongst our own players. So, 
you know, we've had a lot of individual workouts. This five on five is going to be extremely valuable for us. And it would be a chance for us to bond a little bit. Uh, something that we didn't get that the other teams did, uh, you know, when this, once the season shut down. Right. Right. And, uh, okay. So that's fantastic. Oh, so that's great. So when does that, when does that start? Sorry for your, uh, were you able to play? Uh, five? So, so we'll start, we'll start testing on the 14th and then, uh, if, if all the players are negative and coaching staff is all negative after that week on the 21st, we'll start, uh, our, our own little bubble in our market where we can practice uh, against ourselves. That's that's great. You and the coaches, and I, I'm and I'm guessing the players got to be fired up about that just to get those competitive juices flowing and and get back together, right? Yeah, I think you know this has been the longest probably that they've probably been without being in an organized setting uh, of five on five, and uh, you know we're we're behind the other teams. The teams that got to go to Orlando, they, they, those are. That was just like a six-week going to a six-week camp where you got games and practices and the ability to lock in on the game. And, you know, we missed that. So hopefully this these two weeks kind of, kind of shortens that gap a little bit for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point because you, you heard Kenny Smith during the first round. He's talking about Luka Doncic when he hit that uh, that amazing shot, uh, that, that game winner and against the Clippers. And Kenny Smith made a great point on TNT there. He's saying, well, you know, we're almost seeing Luka Doncic, he's a second-year player, but we're almost seeing him in his third year because he's had this this time off. Right. Maybe he wasn't able to get into a gym every day, of course, but you know, these guys uh, will have access to gyms and to kind of fine-tune and hone in on their skills and where they need to improve. So when we see uh, Luka coming back, amongst other players too, of course, it's almost like they have that off-season and they're just fired back into this third year. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, uh, we really felt like as an organization, uh, we fell behind uh, by not getting invited to go to Orlando. Uh, you're exactly right. That's like another season. It's like a mini season, even even a summer league. But the games mattered and uh, the practices mattered and they were able to get together. And, uh, you know, our guys are in the prime part of their career and they're earning potential. And our, our players miss out on that as well. So, uh, you know, it's something that we can't do anything about except, uh, you know, make make sure that over the next couple of weeks that uh, when we have our own little bubble that we we help our guys uh, develop this growth. Yeah, and how long will that be? How long will that go for, your 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 bubble? Uh, it's two weeks. Uh, it'll be two weeks in, in together, yeah. Okay, okay, that'll be great to get everybody together. And then now we know the – I know we're just midway through the playoffs, but we have the NBA restart coming up, and I think the aim is December – or January, but there's a, I know you don't, you probably don't know offhand and I don't think anybody really knows at this point in time, but uh, do you have any idea as to when you think the NBA season may get fired up? I, I don't, I think everybody's, uh, you know, fingers crossed, but I, I don't, I think that the December 1st date that they first talked about uh, has been pushed back. So uh, I'm not sure how far back it's going to go. I think the NBA would love to know, uh, as well. I don't think anybody really knows right now, but you know, if there's a vaccine and we can start putting uh, people in the stands again, I think the NBA would probably wait a couple of weeks for that to happen instead of trying to start, uh, you know, either with a bubble or with no fans in the building. Mm-hmm. How impressed have you been with, uh, not David Stern, Adam Silver. <laughs> I always think, uh, rest in peace, of course, yeah. Mr. Stern, but Adam Silver, how, uh, how impressed have you been with, uh, how he's handled, um, this entire pandemic? He's been he's been fantastic. He's been, uh, you know, obviously 
I think the NBA is, you know, not just because I'm in it, but I think it's the league that a lot of the other professional sports look to. And uh, they just, uh, you know, care about the players first. And, you know, whether it's um, whether it's the bubble or dealing with the social activities that are going on in the world right now, I think the NBA has been at the forefront of, uh, of how, to, how to do things the right way. And, uh, you know, when that happens, you got to give and tip your hat to the leader uh, all the time. I think Adam Silver's been on top of it. Yeah, he really, uh, really hasn't. The the support that he's given the players and the statements that the NBA has given compa- compared to any other leagues, is, uh, I really don't think it's been close. Now, we know that there was a little bit of a, a stoppage um, within, the, within the NBA, and it's pretty rare that any any league, even league organization, any place that you work, that you can get everybody to come together and be on the same page and really fight for this change. Did you get? Did you talk to anybody that may have been involved in the uh, in the ballroom? Um, and any of those? Because obviously, <laughs> as a fan from the outside looking in, to be a fly on that wall would have been uh, would have been incredible to hear some of those uh, impactful conversations. But did you have you heard anything about some of the conversations yeah. or narratives through the ballroom? I, I really haven't. I, I other than through. Uh, social media and what was shared. I, I didn't really talk to anybody that was in there, um, but I, I just—I know—I know the players were extremely close to, and I—and I'm glad they did what they did uh, when they said, "Okay, they met and they said, let's meet again tomorrow." Because I think the emotions that first day were high um, when the team didn't play that night, and I think that you know they were probably thinking that they're not going to finish the season; they're all going to leave the bubble. At that point, but I think you know, sleeping on it, and getting a clear thought the next day, talking to more people, whether it's their agents, whether it's the players' association, or whether it's the NBA owners. I know they were everybody was involved. Uh, once they got that, uh, I, I think that they came up to you know the decision that they had a better and more powerful message if they stayed there mm-hmm. in the spotlight mm-hmm. uh, than if they if they if they all went home and you know relied on each other's social media or try to do things on their own. I mean, this is, this is still the best profile that they can have is being on TV every single night, uh, to deliver whatever message they feel like they need to deliver. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with that statement. Yeah, they are. I think uh, there's a lot of, there's a debate as to whether, you know, athletes stay in their lane and there's all that athletes to me, the basketball players, it's their job to play basketball, but everybody, if you have a choice, speak your mind. Um, you have a responsibility, of course, when you speak your mind, but I was very, you know, as a, as an NBA, as a basketball fan, I was very proud of the players to speak, speak out. And I understand that, uh, Michael Jordan, your boss had a, uh, pretty, he played a pretty pivotal role in, uh, some of those conversations as well, helping bring, bring the players together. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what he, what he said, but when you think about it, I, He's probably, you know, the, the greatest of all time. He's he's uh, he, he's been where they are, and he's also an owner. So, uh, what better person to have in that position where he can kind of be the bridge to let's let's have some common ground here and let's let's figure this out. Uh, I was a player, and now I'm an owner. This is what's right for all of us, and uh, and I think his message was similar to what I talked about before, where. And your your voice is a lot more powerful. We're all here and we're all together. You ever played golf with MJ? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> no. I don't. I, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to. 
<laughs> you gotta bring your wallet, right? <laughs> yeah, he'll probably say, let's play for your contract. And I'll be like, I can't work for free. Yeah, yeah, true enough. And like, it, I guess it ease your boss. It's like, uh, you almost don't want to win or there's always that rule. You should never be yeah, your yeah. boss. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so where do you, yeah. did you play when you came up to, uh, to Ontario or where are you generally playing when you're down in Charlotte? I, I played, I, yeah, I played, uh, I played three times, uh, uh, after the quarantine ended in my other six days up there. And, uh, just, it was a great way to connect with a couple of little buddies. Um, and then in Charlotte, I play, um, you know, we're, we're out of the arena by probably one o'clock, one thirty, and I'll just see what's available late in the afternoon or on, on the way home and try to get around in there. Uh, I'm not really a member anywhere, uh, but I'll pick and choose where I want to go play. And got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the people, a lot of basketball people are into golf, so it's not hard finding someone to go and play with. Well, it seems that way. You got guys like Andre Iguodala and Steph Curry. Like you know, Steph Curry. He was on the. I think it's it's got a different name, or is it the Corn Fairy Tour now? That he was playing, and he could have qualified for yeah. the Corn. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've been I've been loving golf this year. I've been absolutely horrific for whatever reason. I'm. I feel like Charles Barkley. I've just forgot how to swing the club. I walked off after nine the other day. I, <laughs> I felt I'm still a good golf partner. Cause I like to go out and have a good time. I really don't care about uh, the, the score, but I'm just going out when I'm missing the ball and just shanking it. It's just uh, definitely not a lot of fun. How's your game? How's your, what do you come in at usually? Not bad. Not, uh, I'm not too bad. I actually, uh, I'm the game frustrates me because there will be days when I drive it long straight. And there will be days that I don't. And then there will be another day that I hit great mid irons and put them on the green. And then the days that I putt and other days that I don't. So um, I, I'm on, I would say, let's just say this. I have been under 81 this year. But for every, of the other 15 times, I have been between 80 and 90. So I'm like, you know what? I look at it like a, I want to play scratch, or I want to play uh, bogey golf. Yeah. And and if I if I if I shoot an eighty five, then hey, I was five under par. I look at it that way. I give try to give myself one stroke on every hole. Yeah, I'm the I'm the exact same. My I liken my my golf game right now to me going to shoot hoops for forty five minutes, and I only make like four shots. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a struggle. Are you uh, are you an NFL fan? Are you are you got a team? Big big. Big time, yeah. Uh, well, that's a good question. My team changes all the time. Okay, it changes all the time. I uh, when I was in Portland, I was a big Seahawks fan because our owner, uh, of course, owned the Seahawks as well. And uh, you know, just we would uh, as a staff, we would get together with that with the staff every once in a while, yeah. Uh, and just so you know, talking to them, and it's always on TV. It's always uh, what's talked about in all the uh, media for the, the week before, the week after. You just kind of, when I was there for four years, so it was great. Um, when I went to Phoenix, um, we, Bruce Arians had invited us down to practices both years that I was there. So uh, just going down on the field and watching practices, you know, it's a team that you follow. So, and now, now I kind of follow the Panthers. But I would say that overall, um, growing up in Southern Ontario, I was a, I've been a Bills fan longer than I've been anything else. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, where, I kind of like wherever I am, that's who I'll cheer for. 
Yeah, fair enough. I, I don't like it because I'm a Niners fan, and both the teams you mentioned besides the Bills are in the NFC West, so <laughs> they're, they're some of my, my heated rivals. But yeah, same here. Growing up in Kingston, Buffalo was uh, was definitely one of the the teams I cheer for. Now, are you a, like are you a fantasy guy? Do you get any any fantasy leagues with your buddies? I've been in a, I've been in a fantasy for probably the last seven years. Yeah, uh, you... I don't know if we're doing it this year. It was uh, I started it. Uh, when I was in Portland, uh, uh, the local local bar where I went uh, had about twelve guys, and we would always we would always do it, and absolutely loved it, loved it. But I find myself cheering for myself more than I'm cheering for any team when that happens. I'm just like, man, don't don't score here. I want the game to go into overtime because <laughs> I want more points, and you know you. You, you, you play the fantasy game rather than you play the real game. It's but so true. I, I've always enjoyed it. I've, I've always enjoyed it. And it, it. Honestly, I think it's fun. I've been, you know, on the bus and I'll forget what day it is and we'll be in the middle of the season and I'll be going, oh man, I got to make sure that all my guys are, are playing this week or I got to make a trade or whatever. Oh, so, it's, it's so uh, true. A lot, of, a lot of banter between, uh, between the staff sometimes. So can, everybody's in a different type of pool. Yeah, there's it's so true. Yeah, there's been a lot of we just had our draft uh, a couple of days ago, and the chirps have just been heavy, heavy so far. I missed the fun. Have you ever won your league? I've never won it. I was second place last year in my no. the main league. Never won it. No, never won. I was I was going to be middle of the pack, but uh, oh. yeah, I've missed I've missed the draft three times. And this will tell you something. I've missed the draft, okay. and. Uh, those years that I missed the draft, I did better than when I was actually involved in the draft. So okay, <laughs> I like to make a. I I can appreciate that. I I was back and forth. I was cooking dinner for my one draft this year, and I was back and forth. And some of the guys I ended up with were uh, were not so bad. I like to play a few pro line tickets. I never wager anything too substantial, but I had uh, some pro. And I've been brutal lately so I, so I go to my girlfriend i go here click on click on these buttons and see what happens and she got me closer than any yeah. of the bets i've made in the last couple of weeks but uh football is uh, okay, i mean I, I, I definitely miss that uh being in space uh the pro line was like that was my go-to i i had no problem at all playing you know picking a parlay of four or five games on a sunday for for five dollars and and you'd think that five dollars is the last five dollars that I had because I'd be cheering like crazy for that thing to come through. It's so true, right? But it's again, like, it, again, it comes back to it. Because that's just competitiveness. That's not. It's not about the, the five dollars or the twenty five that you're going to win. Oh, uh, it's so true. Yeah, I uh, I get a little fired. I'm a I'm maybe some would say I'm a little bit overly competitive, and it's so true. It's just, just five bucks, but you're just you're all you're all in with it. My girlfriend thinks I'm a maniac. I got all these screens set up, and I'm yeah. just yeah. But but it's great. It's great. Um, well, man, uh, I want to say uh, thanks again uh, for coming on. All the insight. I'm very excited uh, for you. Glad your guys are getting back in the bubble. Glad uh, things are look. I guess. It's quote unquote turning around and uh, I couldn't be more excited to um, as the season progresses, of course, be excited to catch up with you again and uh, really see where the Hornets are going to draft and uh, really see where you guys are going to go. And I wish you best of luck, man. I appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. Look, really enjoy talking to you and uh, look forward to doing it again. Mike. Yeah. So maybe next time you guys, uh, you guys come through Toronto, Brooklyn in Toronto, we'll do this again with Steve. <laughs>
<laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, but in all honesty, thanks so much for taking the time. Have a safe uh, rest of your drive, and then uh, and then we'll be talking to you soon, Jay. Sounds good, bud. All, all right, right. Thank, care, bud. thanks, brother.